you know, cut the rope or do this and that. And we would get caught every single time. They'd lock us in a room and make us watch hours and hours of ski safety videos <laughs> before they'd then, you know, give us our lift ticket or season pass back. Not going to be all snow. A wintry mix is forecast for the listening area. Welcome. This is episode 43 of Wintry Mix. I'm Alex Kaufman. If you dug episode 31 with Dave Schmidt and Brew Moscarello, who are taking the snurfer to market, then today's old school snowboarding roundtable of sorts probably be right up your alley. The Vermont Slope Posse was inducted into the Vermont Ski and Snowboard Museum Hall of Fame in 2013. These guys pushed snowboarding into the bloodstream of Vermont's mountain resorts in the 80s and 90s, when it was not all that accepted. Original Posse member Greg Manning has helped us gather some of the early characters from those days to provide a window into when snowboarding was fighting for its right to party. Should be fun, so stay with us. Season 3 of Wintry Mix is supported by... World Cup Supply has served the ski resort, race, and event industry since 1991. Visit worldcupsupply.com to see the complete selection of race gates, safety, and crowd control fencing, on-hill tools, poles, nets, you name it. If you are running a ski resort, an event, or an event at a ski resort, then trust World Cup Supply for the gear that ensures safety and success. All right, get on a plane, fly to Salt Lake City, and devour the powder at Snowbird in Little Cottonwood Canyon. With 500 inches average annual snowfall, seven-minute tram rides to the summit, and over 3,000 vertical feet, this will make your season. Check out fourth night free slopeside lodging options or visit with your Mountain Collective Pass. Snowbird.com is step one. Step two is follow Snowbird on social to stay stoked until you arrive. Over 250 ski areas use Liftopia to reach millions of skiers and riders planning their trips. But what you might not know is that Liftopia's cloud store is also the most widely used e-commerce ticketing technology for ski area websites, with over 100 North American ski resorts using the platform. Your team, your strategy, your customers partnered with the best e-commerce support and technology in the industry. Visit Liftopia.com and click platform to learn more or email partners at Liftopia.com to schedule a call today. Back episode 43, Alex Kaufman here. And in the studio from Vermont Public Radio this time around, we have Greg Manning and Mike Hayes. Uh, these guys go way back in the sport of snowboarding before, uh, boy, I ever got my foot on a snowboard or probably even thought about it. Uh, Greg, you are here because I am curious and we are curious about the Vermont Slope Posse. You guys were inaugurated uh, or or welcomed, or what's the word, um, inducted into the Vermont Ski and Snowboard Museum Hall of Fame in 2013 uh, for a reason. Help us understand what was and is the Vermont Slope Posse, and welcome. Hey, thanks for having us. Well, the Slope Posse was a group of hardcore skateboarders and snowboarders that in the winters 
took their skateboarding to the hills. And we stuck together from young teenagers working side jobs, you know, sleeping in the lodges to building up and turning into world-class athletes and having the gift to travel around the world and, and compete. So this is, if I'm, if I'm understanding my time correctly, this is like the mid to late 80s. Describe snowboarding. Describe how you guys kind of found each other. You know, it all really started through skateboarding, and we met uh, skateboarding on the streets uh, in Burlington. So quite a few of us lived in the country and would, however we could, hitchhike or take the bus or get a ride in from the parents. We would get to Burlington where the concrete was and skate the local spots. And that's where we met Matt Lawrence and Josh Brownlee, who both grew up in in uh, the Burlington area and were definitely some of the top skateboarders. And we have uh, Mike Hayes here alongside you today. Um, and in our earlier chat, it was I was asking about, you know, how did the group come together? How did it grow? Um, so, Mike, you were in the original core or immediately following? Uh, no, I was in the original core. Um, actually started snowboarding um, in the early 80s and um, was on the original Burton team back in 1984. And through my uh, connections with snowboarding, um, Andy Coglin and some of the other um, early snowboarders uh, met up with these guys uh, while spending time in Burlington at Andy's shop, uh, the boarding house. So it's it's the mid-80s, it's the late 80s. Um, snowboarding is just getting underway in lots of hot spots around the country, uh, northern Vermont being one of them. Uh, how welcome were you guys on local slopes? So Mike has a home at Stratton Mountain. So he, before going to UVM, he, he was based down at Stratton Mountain, which was one of the birthplaces for snowboarding, uh, meaning it was the first area in New England to allow snowboarding as well as the first mountain in the U.S. to build a professional halfpipe. So I, growing up here in northern Vermont, we, I can remember, were some of the original snowboarders allowed as a demo to go up to Bolton Valley where we had to demonstrate our skill and then we were given a certification level, which was a green circle, a blue square, or a black diamond that would go on our pass. And if we were caught on any trails we weren't supposed to be, they would revoke our pass. And I'm sure Mike can remember being with Burton uh, from the beginning that those Burton snowboards in the beginning didn't have edges. That's right. And actually, um, my brother and I had a very similar experience at Stratton. We were both at Stratton Mountain School and uh, doing ski racing. And um, all of a sudden, we see the Burton guys come up and set up shop uh, right there at the mountain. And Stratton was the first mountain in the east to allow snowboarding. So uh, we ended up having the same certification process. Uh, but meanwhile, we're riding boards that were uh, wooden boards with skegs on them. So they're very difficult to ride on the ice, and um, we pretty much had uh, a bit of a challenge, but luckily the uh, the Burton guys were uh, updating us with all brand-new equipment uh, right off the bat. So who was driving? How were you guys getting around? Who had the car? Jeff Brushy had the Renault, and we um, had quite a speaker system in that, probably about 10 or 12 on any given week, and uh, we listened to a lot of uh, rap back in the day, and we traveled all over New England until the rest of the guys caught up and got licenses and cars. What are the best spots to snowboard, not at a ski area, in northern Vermont, 
um, local. So you'd say you're 15, 16, 17 years old, um, and you're trying to find the, the little hills in Chittenden County. What were your go-to spots? Don't give away the backcountry stuff. I want the golf courses. Well, my favorite spot, um, which I think today is still famous, was the hospital banks. And what would happen is they dump all the snow over the side of the garage, which would create these huge piles of snow. We'd go up there and carve quarter pipes and and launch jumps, and we would hike for hours and hours and hours and practice tricks and, and uh, have a fun time with the ghetto blaster cranking. Yep, I was actually part of that as well. Um, I was going to UVM at the time, so we were um, – I think we're talking about the same hospital, UVM hospital, and uh, – so we used to uh, meet up there and uh, just spend hours and hours hiking that hill and, and, you know, making jumps and learning new tricks. Define the word posse for me. So five people, 30 people, how did it grow and evolve over time? Well, um, it's pretty simple. It, it, it was a brotherhood, and um, we all stuck together. We all helped each other out. You know, it was it was more like a family, and we would – be together and push each other, whether it was on the skateboard or whether it was, you know, even in school because um, our parents basically let us go buck wild. The only, you know, regulation was that we passed all our classes and, and stayed out of trouble. Uh, we pretty much had a, a home base at Josh's house and uh, really that was his, he had a, his mom had a house in town and so we would all uh, gather there when we weren't um, terrorizing the streets. So did you have folks who would like to say, hey, I'm in the Vermont Slope Posse, but they weren't, and then how would you handle that kind of thing? I was the worst at that. <laughs> Describe. <laughs> Give me an example. Well, I felt like you had to pay your dues. You had to you know, work hard, whether it was washing dishes or bailing hay, whatever it took to to get on the team. And, and so I felt like if you really – hadn't gotten in at the beginning and, and knew everyone's background and how we all, I mean, we've been friends for, you know, 25 years now almost, and we're still um, like brothers. So I would kind of frown upon people showing up with stickers on their boards or, um, you know, trying to jump in the team rig. And normally I just kind of give them a little vibe, but all in all, um, it's still growing today. So it really intrigues me that there's still so many riders out there, uh, girls and guys, that still you know want to be a part of that. So originally it was Josh Brownlee that made some VTSP shirts, and so that started the whole process. And if you had a shirt, you were on the team. Everybody else was pretty much uh, you know wishing they were. Um, and so when we started doing a lot of snowboard competitions, we kind of had the West Coast group versus the East Coast, and the East Coast was was us. We were the the VTSP and. Uh, they actually uh, had a lot of respect for us. As I had mentioned, um, the VTSP was the New England posse, which, you know, at the time Andy Coughlin was was world champion. He was the top rider in the world, and he decided that he was going to take all of us young kids under his wing, put us on the team, meaning he supplied us with all the equipment, the outerwear, the eyewear, and not only that, but he bought a van and would pile us in that van and take us to the races all over New England for years and years and years while he was in town in between racing and winning on the World Cup tour. How'd you guys score your lift tickets? I got to imagine you weren't forking over retail price. Well, my favorite trick would be that you would show up a little late, like around noon, 
and you would look for people in the parking lot that were headed to their car. And, you know, you'd have a $5 bill in one pocket, and at the high end would be another $10 bill. So you'd barter for the ticket. Then you'd go jump in your car and turn the defroster on, put the ticket under the defroster until it got real warm, and and you'd peel it apart and then put a ticket wicket on your jacket and seal it back up. And um, that was what we called our, our New England season pass. Sadly, that strategy probably doesn't work so well anymore due to uh, ticket wicket technology, but... Typically, um, we'd know somebody at the mountain as well, so we could, uh, especially if it was night skiing, we could go and we'd know. Uh, usually, it was it was um, Greg's girlfriend working the the lift, so we could usually get on the lift that way. So, what'd you guys get in trouble for doing? I mean, this is when snowboarding was truly an outlaw kind of counterculture thing. Not all the ski areas were down with it. Um, how did you guys kind of handle that friction? Well, um, to start off, you know, Mike was the Stratton. Mike and his brother were the, and the Heingartners were the the Stratton Mountain Boys. And so uh, we'd come down there from northern Vermont, which was basically not governed, meaning you could pretty much ride or ski wherever you wanted at, say, Stowe or Sugarbush or, or Bolton. So we'd go down to Stratton thinking we could you know, cut the rope or do this and that. And we would get caught every single time. They'd they'd lock us in a room and make us watch hours and hours of ski safety videos (laughs) before they'd then, you know, give us our lift ticket or season pass back. If someone asked you at the time, flash yourself back 20, 25 years, what was your goal? Um, As you guys were doing it, as you guys were really excited about traveling all around, you know, what were you hoping to do with snowboarding at that time? So when I first started, uh, my first competition was actually the U.S. Open in 1985, and I won that as a junior. And so uh, my brother and I actually uh, got immediately put on the burden team and flown out west to the world championships. So at the time, it was really a matter of getting as much experience traveling and enjoying the sport as possible. Um, Ultimately, we wanted to be in the Olympics, but uh, we both phased out of the sport before it actually became an Olympic sport. We've got Mike. We've got Greg. We're missing a lot of the core. Who are we missing right now? Well, we're missing Josh Brownlee. Um, we're missing Matt Lawrence. We call him Matty L. And we're missing world champion Jeff Brushy, who's out in San Diego right now. And Chris Wires, who is a.k.a. Sweeze. Wait, I think we can get him. Let's call him. Come on. Let's get Chris on the line. It's be funny. We're going to surprise him. So what'd you say he was doing? Something Lake Erie? Lake Iroquois. He was, uh, Lake Iroquois. He had a snowboard and he was... Uh... Oh, yeah. This is Chris. Chris, this is uh, Alex Kaufman from Wintry Mix. I'm here with uh, Greg and Mike. Alex, Mikey, G, how's it going? Good. How about you? Great. Good. So Mike was just telling me something, uh, some historical anecdote about you on a snowboard on Lake Iroquois doing something. What is he talking about? Oh, I think probably converting our sim, old sim snowboard into a wakeboard back in the day. I think we might have some video footage of it. Took uh, took the sims, kept the bindings on, and just drilled a hole. I think we drilled a hole to the middle and put it put a fin in it, like a water ski fin. This was way before wakeboarding. So what you're talking about, Mikey? That's it. I think it was on that original uh, trip out on the lake. And this is literally before wakeboards were being sold or used. This was the precursor. Oh, yeah. I think it was even before, like, the, the yellow, like, skirpers were out, those little banana boat skirpers. 
did you get to use it more than once, or was it a one-time only? Uh, no, it was one and done. But it, but it actually worked really well. You can totally carve. We were in the wake doing method. What about the Hayes Brothers' house, U.S. Open parties? You got any stories? Oh, yeah, I do. Public, I, it's public radio, though, I think, right? It's it's not live, and you can swear. <laughs> oh, no. No, I don't know. I, I those Honestly, those days were kind of blurry. I just remember, like, uh, you know, they were really, really friendly, opened up their house to everybody. There was probably, like, you know, just wall-to-wall people, hundreds of people in there, and probably half of them end up staying the night there. It was just, like drink till you can't drink anymore stay up as late as you can and then try to carve your little spot out on the floor you don't even forget about couch space you just have to go for the floor that was the original uh rugrats where that came from <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly yeah the one story that i remember is when i i uh conned dale rayberg into going into the hot tub room and it was uh-huh. it was pretty late at night, and he was wearing his baggy pants and dreadlocks. And I I said, Dale, come here, I want to tell you something. And he go, he walks right over the soft top of the hot tub. Oh Me- my god, I totally remember that. Remember, and he he goes in, and he's so he's soaked. He basically goes underwater, and this uh-huh. is at like ten o'clock at night, and then he uh, just parties right through, soaked head to toe. Yeah, no, I totally remember that. I think, like, didn't didn't you do that to see if it came in on him? And he totally fell for it. Actually, I had done a uh, story with Playboy magazine on snowboarding and the history of snowboarding, and there's a picture uh-huh. in there from that same party at the Hayes Brothers' house where some huge guy that was, you know, the size of Hulk had Dale Rayberg over his back, over his back on his shoulder, and the, the caption under the picture was backside air. <laughs> When's the last time like, the three of you guys actually went snowboarding together? Who's that, me and Mike and G-Man? Yeah. Oh, I mean, gosh, had, it has to be at least 20 years ago. Yeah, I think it's early 90s. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, rode, with, uh, I've rode with Mikey a couple years ago at the Washed Up Cup, and G-Man probably 20 years ago. It's been a while. Yeah, I think the last time was uh, either in Washington or on one of the ride photo shoots in in Lake Tahoe. Yeah, I can't re- I can't remember. You guys yeah. got to get the band back together. I know. I got a I got a trip. I got a trip with uh, Brush and uh, and uh, possibly Josh in about two weeks. We're kind of watching the weather. Either they're either going to fly up here um, if it dumps, or I'm going to fly down to fly down to Tahoe. I have one last question. I want an individual answer from each of you. Since all three of you guys were around for snowboarding's birth, and if you look at it now and it's kind of like an adult, did it grow up the way you expected? How did it do? What can it do better? Um, I mean, Mike, what's your take on snowboarding today, uh, having been around for when it got started? Uh, I think it's progressed tremendously. Uh, but when we were doing it, it was mostly alpine racing. So we were kind of taking off on uh, on ski racing, and uh, we always see, we always saw that the future was uh, going to be freestyle. Uh, you could see it year after year. That was where all of the focus was, and um, it got to the point where Burton, uh, during the U.S. Open, decided not to have any more alpine events at all and just focus strictly on the on the freestyle. Um, but as far as the um, amplitude of the tricks and all of the sponsorship and um, public interest, it's just been tremendous. And, and Chris, a little slant on that. I mean, what do you think is, if snowboarding has a challenge today to, you know, whether it's maintain its status or continue to grow it, what do you think that challenge is? 
Uh, I, I don't know. I don't really pay too much attention any, anymore to the industry and how it's kind of evolving and all that. I mean, I, the only thing I get my my updates on snowboarding is from like, uh, you know, watching the X Games or something. And it's really hard to even stay tuned to the whole thing. I got to, I don't know, I kind of kind of go in and all the runs kind of look the same. The one thing that I was pumped on this year was definitely like the, the level of the girls, how good they are. And some of their tricks, I think a lot of the girls now, which is kind of cool, have a lot more style than the guys. And some of the stuff, I mean, their spins and stuff are just just uh, a little bit slower, and it's actually, I think, a little bit more fun to watch. So, Greg, I mean, your your thoughts on a similar vein? Uh, you're in the Vermont Ski and Snowboard Museum Hall of Fame uh, for the Vermont Slow Posse and your life in snowboarding. Um, how does it look to you right now? Um, it's amazing. You know, I as a very young kid. Uh, set goals for myself, and one of those goals was to ride a career out, uh, fortunate career as as a as a pro, going starting as an amateur, and then getting into the business side of action sports, which I'm still deeply involved with today. Um, to see snowboarding evolve through three or four Olympics now um, is very exciting. I work with a lot of world class athletes that that aren't snowboarders. And to see that these top pros um, not only are risking their life uh, all through training, but also during competition, uh, both men and women, they need to train 12 months a year, eat like athletes, sleep like athletes. And in order to sustain sponsorship agreements, they need to be at the very, very top of their game. So... These guys are at the Olympic Training Center. These girls are at the Olympic Training Center. They, they have um, unbelievable diets, and they, tr- they, they really train year-round. So I compare it to any Olympic sport on that note. And what are you doing right now? What does everybody do for a living today? I'm a financial advisor over at Bay State Financial in Colchester. And Chris? No, I I do real estate real estate in uh, in Seattle, and we're switching over to kind of like uh, property and like uh, vacation property rentals in uh, in Mexico, like down in the Baja. And G Man, um, I own GM Consulting, which I started 19 years ago. So I offer sales and marketing advice to action sports companies, snowboard, skateboard, surf, bike, um, motocross. And wax. This is a this is a great product. Green Ice Wax, greenicewax.com. We offer a 100% biodegradable ski and snowboard wax. So the message is that there's no more floral carbons left on the snow which end up in the rivers which which you know end up also on the trees and in the in the soil and um, it's a great business. We're a couple years old. We have um, eight-time X Games gold medalist Nate Holland as a snowboarder endorsing it. And we have um, the winningest current U.S. male downhiller, Travis Ganong, who's racing around the world right now uh, promoting the wax. It's a family-run business based out of New Jersey, and uh, proud to be a part of that one. All right. You guys need to have a reunion. And when you do, I don't know if I'm going to be at that party, but I know that I'm going to want to be at that party. And a lot of people are going to want to be at that party. The Vermont Slope Posse, everybody. Chris Swires, Mike Hayes, Greg Manning. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely.
Thanks very much to Greg, Mike, and Chris for that wild ride through uh, the history of the Vermont Slope Posse. Wintry Mix is made possible with support from VPR and their members. And a shout to my local shop, Waterbury Sports, for having whatever I need to fix my telly bindings. Follow Wintry Mix on social for show updates and examples of my kids misbehaving. And if you're new to the show, keep in mind most episodes are still relevant, so scroll on back a while. You'll find something. And the best bet is always to subscribe on iTunes. Links and ways to contact the show are at wintrymixcast.com. Goodbye. That's a perfect example of one that'll be edited because I, I, oh, yeah. I, with my ski area sponsors, I have, <laughs> no, but the first part will be good, and then I'm writing it off. And you, you get the joke.